0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at If We'll continue our worship now for these next few moments by turning to Hebrews chapter 13. You'll notice some of the themes today from the songs we have sung together have to do with the closing thoughts of this epistle. Hebrews chapter 13. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we pray that your words will be heard today. May our hearts be open to your word. And may we live by them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today, we, um, this is vacation season, of course. the summer and people are on trips and journeys. And today, uh, we come to the end of a journey. We began this uh, study, this sermon series from Hebrews last winter and now uh, we are finishing it up today. Today's the last Sunday. Amen? Well, okay, well I can go longer if you want. We could <laughs> uh, Of course we didn't exhaust it at all. Uh, in fact, the first 10 chapters we moved through one chapter a week through chapter 11, we just slowed down and have been uh, making lots of application. And that was kind of interesting to me as reading this, but that in mind, it was sort of struck me as a little humorous, but I don't think the author, the, the Apostle, intended it to be funny or humorous or even tongue-in-cheek. But given the fact we have been studying this since, I don't know, Gary, was it January? We started January, okay. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting when he says in verse 22, Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. <laughs> so I guess that's a matter of definition. Um but I'm sure in context of what these people were going through, and I believe what the author was given by the Holy Spirit anticipating for them. I believe this letter was written uh, not too long before the destruction of Jerusalem uh, by the Romans. And that the Christian, there was a very large Christian faith community in Judea at this time. Very large. We have some estimates from some early church historians and so forth. And we're talking thousands of people. This is not a small sideshow the, the Christian faith in the context of Judaism in the, in the first century. It's very large. It's a, it's it's a, it's a big deal. And they are about to be, along with the rest of the Jews in Palestine, they are about to be Uh, under some very difficult times. The Romans are going to come and destroy their city. They're going to to pillage and murder and everything that goes with it. And um, they're pretty much going to wipe out Judaism as they knew it in Judea in the first century for the most part. Uh, There are some historians that believe that most of the Christian community had exited um, just before that and went to an area in Jordan called Pella, There are different opinions on that. But we believe that the author is preparing these Christians for this. And so given what he has to say to them, it is not a very long epistle given what he wants to communicate to them. So we're going to look at the last section today beginning in verse 20. And he begins here, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. And I've underlined in my Bible, because this is the benediction. In fact, my Schofield reference Bible says, conclusion, benediction and greetings. And I've underlined, peace, may the God of peace, in verse 25, grace be with you all. Now again, we don't know who wrote this, but I have said, whoever wrote it was familiar with Paul's theology, if it, if it wasn't Paul, whoever it was, was connected with his ministry, I believe, in some way. Because this is so typical. I just went back. I'm not going to do it right now, but you can take time. When I was in my office every day, I just started flipping back through the epistles of Paul. and Because the First Philemon, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Then you go back from epistle to epistle to epistle. Every one of them, but one, I think Romans, Although, it's, although it's, it's in the last section of Romans, but every epistle ends with this benediction. Grace and/or peace are always part of Paul's benedictions to his epistles, and these are not throwaways. These are not just sincerely yours, okay? Um, and uh, you know, there are so many things that are kind of just courtesies, and even in our context, you know, how are you doing today? Well, oftentimes you really don't want to know. You're just saying that, you know. Uh, what can I do for you? Good luck. Uh, sometimes even I'll pray for you. And then sometimes later the person says, thanks for praying. And all of a sudden you realize, I, I, I didn't pray. I just said that. Um, this is not just a throwaway line. Grace and peace are the heart and soul, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Grace is the cause. Grace is the cause and peace is the effect in our lives. So this benediction begins with peace. And and in this context, it's the Greek word Irenaeus, but it's really based on the Hebraic thought of shalom, which means more than simply absence of conflict. The word shalom in Hebrew, that's why when we go to Israel next year, if you're going to travel with us, uh, people will say shalom, shalom, shalom when you come and shalom when you leave. We would say hello and goodbye. They would say shalom because it means Wholeness and and health. It's it's a very beautiful word and includes so much more than just absence of conflict. It's a very positive word. And so he begins his benediction: May the God the God of peace. And he says, who through the blood. This is an interesting thought here. And there's different opinions. And we we would if we were doing Sunday night tonight. This is one I would take a little more detail in. We would we've been doing on Sunday nights where he says, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, which has been a huge theme, the blood and the covenant have been two key words that we've been looking at in this entire epistle. Through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. It almost sounds like in that reading that it was through the blood of the covenant had something to do with God bringing Jesus Christ back from the dead depending on how you punctuate it in the original language there are different opinions or it could be the emphasis is that the God of peace who brought back Christ from the dead through the blood of the eternal covenant made Him the the great shepherd of the sheep. I I would lean that understanding. But again, there are different views on that and and some very fine Greek scholars Um, will take either side. But there's a key theme here. The blood of the eternal covenant Brought back Jesus Christ from the dead. And I want to. I, it's, it's important for us to remember because this is a, this is a this is a very important doctrine, and we'll see this in Paul's writings as well. That you know, when we come, sometimes we come to Easter. I don't know how much thought we really give to the the literal power that God exerted in raising Jesus from the dead. I, I've said before, it didn't just happen because it was on the schedule. It wasn't just because, you know, it's on the schedule, three days he's gonna rise again. But the Bible makes it clear, and Paul speaks to this quite often, that just as when God created the world and he's he spoke it into existence, but his his great power I mean, you know, the more we know about creation, the more we know about creation, the more um amazed we are at what God did in creation. And we think of the power He actually exerted in creating the universe. And when He, wrote, when he raised Jesus from the dead, He exerted His power. He went to work and then by His power, He raised Him back from the dead to life. And I was thinking about that. You know, that the blood of Jesus Christ that, that, that was shed at the cross of Calvary that drained from His body And the Bible says that that life is in the blood. And yet Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And God's power was exerted. We'll come back to that thought in closing this morning, but keep that in mind. And because of that, Jesus Christ, this is a beautiful phrase. And again, for this Jewish context, this Jewish context, um, this thought is, they would grab right away, He became the great shepherd of the flock, of the sheep. And the reason for that is one of the accusations against the leaders of Israel in the Old Testament is you were supposed to shepherd the flock, and instead you butchered the flock. You took advantage of the flock, and that's not what a shepherd does. But Jesus Christ, who himself said, I am the what? I am the good shepherd. The shepherd what? Gives his life for the sheep. And that, and that, and that story of the, the parable, the 99 sheep and the one that went away. And the shepherd didn't say, oh well, I've got 99 more. The shepherd left everything and went and found that sheep and that, that wonderful picture, I think it was Francis Hook did, of the shepherd coming back with a smile on his face with the lamb on his shoulders. That he, that every lamb, every lamb is so precious to him. Every lamb. I think of my father-in-law, Trainer Hansen, when the kids were little, and he would say, bless the little lambs. The children, bless the lambs, and I see the babies, I see some of the babies brought in today that are over in the nursery right now, and the little ones, and and this other, bless the lambs, bless, bless the flocks, and God bless each one of us as He watches over us. Jesus Christ, this is a beautiful phrase, the great shepherd of the sheep. And notice what He says here, connected to that power, connected to that shepherding, Connected to the blood of the eternal covenant. Here's the goal. Verse 21. We began this phrase with may. In other words, this is what I pray for you, you Jewish believers in this con. Here's what I'm praying for you. Might this happen. May this happen for you. And Here's what he prays. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. May He equip you. You know, I don't know about you, but we've been watching the Olympics when we can. And um, uh, you know, I, I have to confess, I I don't watch NBA basketball anymore all year round. I don't know if it's sour grapes, John, still over the Sonics or what. But I have to confess, when the Olympics are on, I'm taping the game right now of, uh, the the men's Olympic team. I don't know why, but I, this, I, I, it's, it's just, I I do that. And you watch the equipment. You know, in basketball, you play with certain equipment. Archery, you play with different equipment. Fencing, water polo, table tennis, you wear the right, you use the right equipment. And the Lord Jesus Christ has equipped us. And you know, and I look over at this congregation this morning. That God has called every one of us. We're all gifted differently. And none of our gifts are any more important than the other. Paul makes that very clear in his analogy of the body. The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. The eye cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. Some parts are more obvious. Some parts are inside or not obvious. It's all part of the body. We we're are all, we're all have different gifts. And whatever God has gifted you for, God will equip you for. God will equip you to do that. If God calls you and God gifts you, He will equip you. Yes, there will be training. Yes, there will be practice. I mean, you know, those who are equipped to lead in worship, you know, yes, it's a gift, but I, I'm pretty sure they practice and prepare. But God has equipped them, enabled them to do that. If God has called you to be a, to serve, you know Paul lists the gifts in Romans of service and encouragement. If God's called you to be an encourager, friends, the faith community needs people that are gifted in encouragement. We all should encourage, but some of you have a gift of encouragement. God will equip you to do that if we are faithful to Him. And this is what He's saying here. He says this that the God of peace, with the power He has exerted, may He equip you what with everything good for doing His will. What a high calling. What a privilege that God has called us to serve Him. Think of it. That God has called you, and God has called me to serve Him, to represent Him. And He will equip us with whatever gifts He has given us according to His good will. Will you know the 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 passage that course that that connects with this is, is philippians chapter 2 philippians chapter 2 a very deep verse philippians chapter 2 the apostle paul says this therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed you know, obedience is part of the of the, of the gospel obedience is part of the outworking of our faith as you have always obeyed Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. This is the church at Philippi. Look what he says. Chapter 2, verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a serious thing. It's a joyful thing, but it's an important thing. Your calling is so important. Your gift is so important. That God has given you. And He has given you gifts. It is so important. He says with with some fear and trembling. Meaning with reverence. Not to be afraid. But with reverence and awe. That God has dared to equip you. with, With your failings and my failings. With a gift that can be used in His work. In His ministry. He says continue to work out your salvation. With fear and trembling. In verse 13. This is a powerful verse. This is one that you have to stop and just meditate on. For it is God who works in you now notice to will and to act according to His good purpose. Think of that. I mean that that is a little mind boggling. That God is at work in your life and in my life to give me the will And the ability to act upon that will and His guidance for His good purpose. God is doing this in us. God is doing this. And of course, that's why He says the next verse, do everything without complaining or arguing. (laughs) And doesn't that thought connect with Hebrews? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Look what He says back in Hebrews. That He may equip you with everything good for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's the same thought. It's a very Pauline thought, isn't it? And it's one that we should we should stop and, and just give thought to sometimes and think about and appreciate and, and commit ourselves to that God is giving us the will, the gift, the will to use it and the ability to use it, and called us to be obedient to use it. Um, you know, at some point we have to let go of that. In some of these areas of the sovereignty of God. You know, there's much ink been spilt and printed and written on this whole issue of the sovereignty of God, and there comes a point where we have to let go. I, I remember when I was in maybe I was in high school. I can't remember the book "Free Will and Sovereignty of God." That's what it was. I think it was that book, and the illustration used of of railroad tracks. And two tracks, and you need both of them. Without either one of them, the train will not go forward. And the two tracks are always there, but the two tracks never cross. You can go through switches and so on, but they never cross, or that would be a disaster. And these two tracks of God's sovereignty, God's will, and God's choice, and our responsibility, they are both there. And it's not up to me to try to untangle or figure that out. It's up to me to accept it by by faith. This is God's Word. And I don't understand it. But they're both there. And both are needed. And both are given by God. And it's by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the covenant, and God raised Him from the dead. It doesn't matter how old you are, young people. It's so encouraging to see our young people Serve the Lord. Our junior high students, Susie's got training. I'm not sure if it's today or this week, sometime or next week. Training our junior high young people to work with our early childhood children. We train them. Um, it doesn't matter how old you are. How young or how old. There is never a time that, that, that you are not in a position where God can use you to serve Him. The epistle could have closed here. It could have closed here. I mean, it sort of sounds like the benediction, doesn't it? Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, which is an affirmation of His deity. You would never give glory to a created being. Only God is worthy of glory. Those affirmations of Christ's deity are all over the New Testament. This The whole discussion of whether Christ was fully God or not, it's all over the New Testament. And here's a case here. You give God you give Jesus Christ glory forever and ever. Why? Because only God is worthy of our glory. Amen. Amen. Uh, the word amen comes from the Hebrew means I agree. i told you before when it says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous basically. Abraham said, Amen. And the apostle here says, So be it. So be it. But then he has a few closing words. And we'll close with these. He, and he, and he already, we already dealt with one of them about the short epistle. And then verse 23, a personal. You know, these, There's a the personal notes in these epistles. And I'm glad there are because we put together some of our history and chronology of the story of these people from these little notes. And I want you to notice here, verse 23. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Well, what does that tell us? I mean, it doesn't take too much to read between the lines there. What happened to Timothy? He was arrested. Timothy was arrested. Timothy, this young man who Paul poured his life into and discipled. And I think it's interesting, if we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's a passage that we probably know pretty well. Check in Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul says this. Um, he, well, he's talking about the, in verse 11, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me? He's writing to Timothy. He's writing from Rome, from prison, his last epistle to Timothy. These things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact... In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He told Timothy that. He said, Timothy, I just want to remind you, everyone that wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. And sure enough, we read here in Hebrews, what happened? We don't know the details. But Timothy himself was arrested and put in prison. And we don't know for how long. We don't know how abused he was. We don't know what the situation was. Whatever it was, he was being released. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. And we would like to come together. If soon as he comes, we'll come together to see you. Timothy himself fully experienced this. And I just want to remind you, and again I remind myself, that if you suffer persecution for your faith in Jesus Christ, if you take a stand for what the Bible says, no matter how unpopular it is, maybe even in your own family and close people closest to you, if we take a stand for Jesus Christ, if we take a stand for God, and try to live faithfully for him, you should not be surprised at opposition. You should not be surprised at it. And we should not react in such a way that, 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 that shows we're surprised that everyone doesn't agree with us. He clearly says it here. He says, everyone who wishes to live a godly life will suffer opposition and persecution. Timothy, he went to jail. He was arrested. And he finally was released. Verse 24. And this is an interesting thought here. There's a lot of little interesting things as we close the epistle. We could spend time, but isn't it interesting? He says to the recipients of this letter, "Greet all your leaders and all God's people." Now that's kind of interesting. Who received this letter? If the people receiving it, you know, if I wrote you a letter. And I sent it to you and I said, by the way, greet all the elders in the church. You might take from that, well, it was sent to us, but the elders didn't get it. Right? I think he's talking about the leaders, of the the, the Christian leaders here. This is kind of interesting. I don't really know what the answer to that one is. I didn't have enough time to really go into all the detail on this. I did the best I could. But frankly, it's one of those ones we don't really know. It is kind of interesting, though, that whoever received this letter, he said, Be sure and greet all your leaders. Um, I don't know. We'll have to talk about that some more another time. Maybe some of you have some thoughts on that. Um, I would assume that the faith community, the leaders, heard this letter and received it as well. But he does say this. So we'll talk about that another time. You do some study on that. Maybe you get some thought on that and let me know what you think. I'd be interested in talking with you some more about that. And then he says, Those from Italy send you their greetings. And this could be one of two things. It could either mean he's in Italy and he's with these Italians and he's writing to the faith community, I believe, in, in Palestine. Or, more likely, myself, I believe, the author is somewhere and there is a group of expatriate Italians with him in the ministry because the Roman church had grown and was was very significant and they may have been together wherever they were and they send their greetings. Paul, ra- oh, excuse me. The apostle right, wraps up this epistle. Really, I don't have strong feeling on that. Um, unlike my friend Gary Hansen over here. <laughs> but this is it, Gary. This is the last time, so you don't get to talk about that anymore. Alright, so, alright. I forgot to ask some of the rest of you what you think. But, again, I think we'll agree. Whoever it is, it's very Pauline in its theology. And I think that's certainly, we can agree on that. The last verse. And this is not a throwaway line. This is not a throwaway line. Grace be with you all. Caris, Caris, a very rich word. The young lady here has that name. Caris, a very rich word. It is used in the Bible for. Unmerited favor, which is, you know, that's the definition we give our young people in our Bible instruction class. What does the word grace means? It means unmerited favor. You, it's the simplest concept in the, in the sense: if I ask you to do something and pay you for it, you have merited it. If I give you the money just because I love you, it's unmerited. It's unmerited favor. You didn't do anything for it. It's also the. It's also used for joy. It's also used for thankfulness. That's why oftentimes, especially in a Roman Catholic setting, the communion is called the Eucharist because when it says Jesus broke the bread and gave thanks, it's the word Eucharist. He gave thanks. Charis is a word there. It's, It's like shalom. It's a very rich word. Both peace and grace are very rich words with many nuances. I mean, this is not a throwaway. This is not just a sincerely yours, Jim. This is, this is the heart and soul of why we are here today. Grace be with you all. I reflected on that and we gathered and remember our brother Steve. and talking about his name and it says that, that Stephen in the Bible was a man full of grace. It, meant, it wasn't talking about he was saved by grace. It was talking about his life. When people were around him, it reminded them of God's gracefulness, as our brother Steve did. It was gracious, it was full of grace. And our lives, friends, are to be filled with grace. This has been a theme in this epistle. Go back to chapter four. One of the right early on in our study, but in chapter four, in verse sixteen. The apostle writing this, talking about our their high priest, Jesus Christ. Let us then approach what? The throne of grace with confidence. Let us approach God. I mean, the Bible says God is an awesome God. We sing that. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of an angry God. God is God is powerful. God is God. And when we sing these songs in worship, we are, we are being reminded and trying to lift our thoughts to that realm to remember who we are here worshiping. God is awesome. Our God is an awesome God. But we, these believers, and I believe us as Christians today, are granted the privilege to approach God Remember the story of Nehemiah when he came before the king of Persia and and his face was downcast and the king says, What's wrong? Something's wrong with you today. And that's because we know from Persian literature, you didn't dare approach the king with a sad face. You always smiled. You always were afraid that you might be doing the wrong thing in the presence of the king. So you always were happy. You always smiled. You never came in with your face downcast because that could be death. And Nehemiah came in. The king said, what's the matter, Nehemiah? Something's wrong today. You don't ever come this way to me. But we approach the very throne of God. When you pray, when I pray, and I take it for granted, I know I do like you do, and sometimes, often, don't think in terms of when I am praying, I am actually approaching the very throne of God. And the apostle says, let us approach the throne of grace, charis, with confidence so we may receive mercy and find charis, grace to help us in our time of need. That is a very powerful section in the epistle to the Hebrews, especially to people who are going to be going through some very difficult times, and they will come back to this and hold on to this, that we may find grace and mercy. That we may find grace and mercy. And he closes the epistle. He closes with the epistle with that very thought. Grace. Grace. And peace. These two beautiful words be with you all. Let me conclude with this passage of Scripture that I think connects with this. Because we began this morning talking about the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. I mean, these are big thoughts, friends. They're big thoughts. They're awesome thoughts. But not complicated thoughts. I want to remind you, these epistles, these Scriptures were not written for scholars. They were not written for Pharisees and Sadducees. They were written for everyone. They were written for you. They were written for me. Just common, ordinary people. I often think that how much of God's work is completely unnoticed by anybody. As a pastor, I get the privilege to see maybe more than you do, some of these unnoticed Acts of service and love for God. Because it's for the average person like us. This is a big thought. But it's for you and for me. When we go back to Ephesians. we go back to the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, one of Paul's latter epistles, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 8. Again, this is a may God do this for you. Just like Hebrews, may the peace of God, may this power of God. And he says here in verse um, 18, Paul says, Ephesians, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be open, they may see light in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. Look at the positive, beautiful terms here. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Now listen, I don't know. You may not feel so powerful today. I don't know what's going on in everybody's life today. You may not feel so powerful today. But the Bible says, That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this age, But also in the one to come. That power that God exerted in raising the lifeless, dead, battered, bruised body of Jesus Christ, that everybody that was there and Nicodemus And Joseph, who wrapped his body and handled it and took him down from the cross, if anybody knew, he was dead. But God's power exerted in a mighty, powerful statement and flash, raised him from the dead back to life, and he is supreme as he says, over all and all names that will ever be named. Friends, that same power, believe it or not, Paul says, is at work in your life and my life. At work in your life and in my life. And that is why the epistles in the New Testament generally end. grace and peace. For we have the grace of God to approach the throne of God in your time of need and to come boldly, to come boldly and confidently and seek God's help in time of need. And we have the power of God at work in our lives to assure us God will never call you to something He won't equip you and empower you to do on His behalf. Grace and peace. And grace and peace for each of us as we conclude this study of the Epistle to the Hebrews. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't know how many of you take time to read the entire bulletin. A lot of work goes in this bulletin every week. And I encourage you to take time to read it. I know sometimes someone will say, Didn't you read that in the bulletin? I said, oh, I forgot to read that part. Um, So uh, in their announcements, every week on the youth page, Pastor Kevin has... uh, I don't know where he comes up with these things. Uh, I don't know maybe Julie or Daryl know, but he puts these little uh, proverbial sayings in there. And I don't know if you happen to notice today's. He left town, so I can't... (laughs) Just a thought. Train up a fig tree in the way it should go, and when you are old... Sit under the shade of it. Um, That's not from the Bible. (laughs) A few words are. That's from Charles Dickens. And uh, I'm sure that when I'm long, long gone, the only thing you're going to remember about me is uh, my fig trees. Uh, Earlier today, Gary talked about things you can bring to the picnic, and Kirsten Amundson leaned forward and said, you can bring some figs. Well, evidently, Kirsten hadn't got the word that, as some of you know, I... I I cut down my fig tree. I know I, every time I say that I get a groan. And then I planted a new one. But that one just did not do good. It finally it was just a stick. and Not a very attractive stick. Sitting next to the olive tree I planted that was also kind of looking like a stick. So I gave up on these. And last year, year I dug them both up. Put them in the back corner of the backyard of our house. Uh, you know what, this is, I'll put them in, throw some dirt, they're gone anyway. Um, Guess what? <laughs> guess what? All of a sudden there's the fig trees about this high. I cut it, I cut it way down. So it was just the root basically. Fig trees about this high. And there's another fig tree growing, that'd be related, coming up over here. And they got a little shoots on them. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm not sure I'll live long enough to sit in the shade. Maybe I will. (laughs) Somebody will. But it just reminds me, don't give up. Never, never, never give up on somebody. Never stop praying. Some of you here know what I'm talking about. You're praying deeply for somebody. Don't ever give up. Parents and grandparents, pray for your children. Pray for those little ones, those babies. Uh, God is going to do wonderful things. And uh, someday we'll sit under that shade. And next to it will be my olive tree. And it's growing. It's got green leaves. I don't know what I'm going to do if I actually get olives. So I'm not sure what to do with the raw olive. <laughs> I don't think you eat them. But, um, the olive branch of peace, and the grace of God, my fig tree. Uh, someday I'm going to sit under those, hopefully. You come and join me. I'll bite you down. All of you. Okay? God bless you. Grace and peace be with you.